Hey, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. We're going to dig right into our Bible study this morning. And I want you to pull the sermon notes out of your bulletin if you've not already. Because we may have already heard the greatest ministry this morning that you're going to hear today at church. And that was the song that the band just sang that ministered to me so much. Um, I needed to hear this morning, and really I need to hear about every day of my life, that God has not given up on me yet. Um, Because I've given him thousands of reasons to give up on me dozens of reasons just this week to give up on me so if you haven't already you need to pull out your sermon notes there's not a blank for this there's not a slide for this but the holy spirit spoke into my heart and said christian you need to tell the people to write down on may 17th 2015 that god has not given up on them yet you need to know this morning god has not given up on you yet and i don't know what that means except that you have a great future in jesus if you'll keep pushing ahead with god but today we find ourselves in acts chapter 6 so turn in your bible to Acts 6 If you don't have a Bible, our ushers have some that you can use this morning or have some that you can have. Um, If you need a Bible, just wave your hand at them and they'll give you one every Sunday. We're going to open God's Word and read it together. You can fire up your phone um, or your tablet, however you follow along. But we're in Acts chapter 6, and if you're on your study outline, we've been studying the book of Acts this year. We started the first Sunday of January for a couple different reasons. We've been studying the book of Acts to find inspiration because we want to see a move of God in our church. So we're looking at the first church, seeing what happened, trying to figure out how to be inspired to see God move in our church like God moved in the book of Acts. But we're also studying the book of Acts so that we might see how we can find information on how to see a move of God in our own lives. Because if God moves in the organization of Journey Church International, but he doesn't move in the hearts of the people of Journey Church International, we've really kind of missed it. So our goal is that God would move in your life. And if enough of us together have God moving together in our life, then maybe as a church collectively, we'll push forward. This summer, we will dig deep into the book of Acts. We'll study Acts chapter 9 all the way through Acts chapter 19 in a series that we're calling Bedtime Stories Volume 4. Every summer, we just take a portion of the Bible and study it like we're reading bedtime stories. And this summer, it's the life of Paul. We're going to study everything about the life of the Apostle Paul all summer long, starting the first Sunday of June, going through the third Sunday of August. Every Sunday, we're just going to open up the Bible and read about Paul so that we can be inspired by his life and informed by his life. And as we've walked through the book of Acts up to Acts chapter 6, we've seen some really inspirational themes. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus gave a message to his people to get to work because you're all important to the kingdom of God. So the book of Acts started by Jesus telling his church, get to work because you're important to the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter two, we see that a chosen generation willing to share their lives and resources can change a city. That happened in the book of Acts and that happens in any community on the globe when a group of people shares their lives and resources for the kingdom of God. In Acts chapter three, we saw the impact of a life-changing gift. The apostle Peter and the apostle John told a man who was born born lame. Listen, I I don't have a lot that I can give you, but what I can give you, Jesus can change your life. In Acts chapter 4, we saw that ordinary people who are connected to Jesus will do extraordinary things if they'll pray for boldness and they'll learn to walk in faith and not fear. We also saw in Acts chapter 4 that a move of God is always marked by a group of people with one heart and one mind unifying together to witness or to take part in a movement of God. And then we jumped into Acts chapter 5 in early March, and we learned that seasons of spiritual blessing 
are often followed by seasons of spiritual warfare. And we began a season in Acts chapter five that we pick up with today. In Acts chapter five through seven, the church moves out of a season of incredible blessing and they move into a season of incredible spiritual battles. And we have found that both individually and organizationally, a lot of times great seasons of blessing in our life are also marked by great seasons of challenge or followed by great seasons of challenge. We learn that individually, people who are growing spiritually have to push through seasons of spiritual difficulty. You can't grow without pushing through levels of spiritual difficulty in your life. So we took a month and we said, let's kind of break this down. And we did a series called Border War. And we looked at the realities of and the remedies for the spiritual battles that we face in life. And so if we don't know how to face spiritual battles and push through spiritual battles, we're going to be done growing. So we took a month to learn how to kind of do battle spiritually. And then we looked at taking a month on how to be purposed in our living. We did a series called Overwhelmed. And we said, you know, if we don't get our life focused on the priorities God wants us to live with, even if we know mentally how to push through spiritual battles, if we don't know how to stay close to Jesus, our family, our church, our Christian friends, it doesn't really mean anything. So we talked about how to prioritize our life according to the purposes of God for us. So individually, people who are growing spiritually have to push through seasons of spiritual difficulty. But as we pick up Acts chapter 6, we see that churches that are growing have to push through seasons of ministry difficulty. As churches grow, they encounter obstacles to growth and to ministry that make it difficult, and that's the narrative that we're going to study the next three weeks in this new series called Do Something. We're going to see that this church in Acts chapter 6 got to a point where all the people were kind of healthy as people, but then the organization started to have some fractures in it, and in Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 7, we see the first of these ministry struggles that a growing church faced in the book of Acts. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing... The Hellenistic Jews, that means Greek-speaking Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews, those were Hebrew-speaking Jews, because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And we'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, a man full of the faith and Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenaeus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, as we enter Acts chapter six, the people in the early church have entered into a great spiritual routine. They're doing better. They've kind of learned how to work through spiritual warfare. They've learned how to center their lives in a great Christian schedule. The organization of the church is growing and the ministries are beginning to fail to meet the needs of all the people. And as a pastor, I'm so glad to hear this. Like I read Acts chapter six as a pastor of a church and I think, well, I'm not the only loser because you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to make sure we're strong in areas that we're failing. I had a, a girl in our student ministry last week who just randomly asked me, she said, so like when you're not having church and you're not preaching, um, like 
do you have anything to do during, during the week, when, like when you're not preaching? That's why, you know, I play golf, I'm a pastor. You know, no, I, I preach and play golf. I, no, I don't actually have a real job. No, actually, the vast majority of my time from Sunday to Sunday is spent arguing with the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews trying to figure out where we're going to allocate ministry resources so that the ministries that aren't as strong can, can be strong because a growing church is going to be marked by failing ministry in some areas. I can't wait for the pastoral roundtable one day in heaven where Peter's sharing his story about, you know, the day the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews jumped in and said, hey, this isn't going well enough. We need a little more budget money. And I can say, that's nothing. I had a day where the children's ministry Jews and the youth ministry Jews showed up at my door and they said, hey, we both need a little more money. And you, you don't want to sit in the meetings between the production Jews and the worship Jews and all the money they need for all this stuff that plugs in and turns on. It's like, Peter, you've, you never had lighting Jews who needed money for all the stuff that lights up. Like, that was, you just had food, man. Our stuff is expensive. Like, it's great to know that in a growing church, in the first growing church, they failed in ministry. Because, man, I feel like Every area of our church needs to do better. And I read Acts chapter 6 and I just kind of chuckle and think, man, thank God we're not the only one. Thank God this is normal. And the book of Acts provides kind of a template for us to make sure all the ministries slowly but surely get what they need so we can keep growing the impact of the kingdom of God. So today I want to talk to you about Acts chapter 6 and I want to show you four things about the growing pains of a church that God is blessing, a church that God is in. Number one, you need to understand churches grow. Churches grow. If you're looking for a church that doesn't grow, you're looking for an unhealthy church. If you're looking for a church that has the same people from when you're 20 to when you're 60 and when you're 80, you're gonna be in a church that's not a healthy church because here's what a healthy church looks like according to Acts chapter six, verse one. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, From Acts chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 3, we're presented with more than 60 years of history on the church, and every one of them is a growing church. Every one of them is a growing church trying to confront the problems of being a growing church and trying to figure out how to minister through the seasons of a growing church. Why is that? Because healthy people and healthy churches attract people who are looking for something more in their lives. And when you have a church filled with people who are getting closer to Jesus, their life changes for the better. And when you have an organization full of people who are making a difference in the community, the community looks and they take notice of that. And people who are looking for something more in their life are attracted to people who are getting something more in their life through Jesus. So they come and they, and they mess things up because they bring kids that we don't have nursery workers for. And they demand parking spaces that we don't have on Sundays when there's a swim meet. And, you know, they they come and they fill the seat that you used to sit in with your friends so that you have to sit someplace else. Growing churches, healthy churches, attract people because people are looking for what they see in great Christians. That's why we're so excited. The people who really mentored Danielle and I in ministry as we started our church were a pastor and his wife in Atlanta, Georgia, named Brian and Amy Beloy. And we've invited Brian and Amy. We started last year at our church, we did a marriage retreat that was just off the charts. It was unbelievable. Just focused on romance and bringing couples in our church to the point of prioritizing their marriage again. 
And we're doing that again this year, August 28th and August 29th, Friday night and Saturday morning. And we've asked Brian and Amy to come lead this year's marriage retreat and just talk to us about how to be the healthiest, best married couples in our community. But when that happens, when you and your spouse become the healthiest, happiest married couple on your block, people are gonna take notice And they're going to want to figure out how that happened. And they're going to follow you to where you go in life. And they may end up at our church because they want what they see in you. Because God has transformed your life. At the end of this service, we'll open our marriage retreat registrations. We've got 50 rooms reserved at the Intercontinental Hotel downtown. uh, Only $150 for the entire weekend. They've given us an unbelievable rate. It's going to be an incredible weekend. And we will sell it out. So if you and your spouse want to come. After this service, go to the Next Steps tent. Sign up. If you pay today, you have a room reserved today. If you want to sign up, but you need to wait a little bit, we'll put you on a waiting list. We'll take as many as we can. But we believe healthy marriages are going to attract more people to be a part of what we're doing. And that's kind of how churches grow. As a matter of fact, here's a few facts. If you're spiritually healthy, you'll be growing. If you're not growing, you're not spiritually healthy. Here's what 1 Corinthians 3, 7 through 9 says. Neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. God makes things grow. If you're close to God, you'll be growing. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll each be recorded for their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You are God's building. If you drive by a building that's half-built day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you're eventually going to look at that building and think they ran out of money or something happened. Someone started to build something that hasn't kept building something's wrong in your life if you're a Christian who started growing and stopped something's wrong because when you're healthy spiritually you're growing spiritually at the exact same time if the church you go to is spiritually healthy it will be growing spiritually I look at how we used to take attendance as a church when we first started our church here's how we take attendance I'd get up I'd preach there'd only be 50 or 75 of us here. I'd see who was here. And then after church, I'd go home. I'd write everyone's name down because I knew everyone. And I would say, here's who's at church. That, that's how we took attendance like the first six months of our year. I did it. I, I kept the role from the stage by looking at people. Now, I even know some people in our church. I was using the bathroom a Sunday afternoon, a couple weeks ago at a restaurant. I'm standing in the urinal and a guy beside me looks over the little thing. He didn't look over. He looked across the little thing. Um, <laughs> It's awkward. He, got, he looked at me. We, we, he looked at me in the eye. Um, and, and, and we kind of met eyes, and he was like, man, great sermon today, Pastor. And I just kind of looked at him and thought, like, you know, I guess thank you. You know, I've never seen you before, but apparently, you, you know, we're close now. So um, thank you. <laughs> and it's like, that, you know, that's how I'm meeting people at our church now, in the bathroom at restaurants on Sunday, after, on Sunday afternoon. Things are changing. Why? Because the church is healthy. When the church is healthy, the church grows and things change. But growth, number two, growth creates tension. Growth creates tension. You say, in whose church? In the book of Acts. I could talk to you about our church. I'd rather talk to you about the church in the book of Acts. Look at verse 1 and 2. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing... The Hellenistic Jews, among them, complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So we see kind of the, the first tension in the church. Growth creates tension. I used to have a strength coach at Liberty University in college who would walk up and down the weight room while we were working out, and he would always say, if it doesn't hurt, it's not getting stronger. 
If it's not sore tomorrow, it won't be bigger the next day. If it doesn't hurt, it's not growing. We, we embrace that tension in some areas, like in physical fitness, we're all like, yeah, that, you know, that makes sense. If it doesn't hurt, it's not growing. But man, when it hurts in our career, we don't embrace hurt in our career as potential growth. When, when our job hurts, and we're going through a really difficult season at church, we don't always, or, or in our job, we don't always embrace that, you know, this season is gonna make me a much better employee down the line. We don't embrace pain in our marriage. Although pain is only a sign that you're getting ready to push to a new level of strength, we don't embrace pain when it, when it hits a husband and wife relationship. We don't embrace pain in parenting. My gosh, I don't embrace pain in parenting. I run from it. I'd love to have a pain-free parenting existence, but my kids are moving into their teenage years. But if pain means growth, shouldn't I lean into that pain? We don't embrace pain in spiritual development. We don't like going from the spiritual high of a youth camp or a mission trip to spiritual battles of doubt and fear and discouragement. And we do not embrace pain in church. When something in the church isn't going right, we, do, we find the church where it is going right. This was the first major organizational tension in the first church. Not all the people who were supposed to be fed, widows, were being fed. I mean, I think we would look at Peter and John and the leaders of the church today as American Christians, and we would say, how dare you not care about the widows? They forgot to feed some widows. My gosh, they probably weren't even Christians. Like, that, that's how we would look at it, right? I mean, they failed. But it's interesting here, because the size of the ministry had caused the leadership to overlook a certain aspect of the ministry, but after being confronted, they addressed it. And they went to the people and they didn't complain and they didn't say find another church. They, they got their people together and they said, hey, we've got, a, we've got an area here we're not doing real well. Need some help figuring this out. Man, I got an email this week that I was so appreciative of. I got an email from somebody who's deeply connected in our church letting us know we had dropped the ball on someone else who was not as deeply connected as they were. And they emailed Pastor Ryan and I and just basically said, hey, we've got a couple who's been in our church for a long time. And you might not know them like you know everyone else, but they had a death in the family and no one from the church has reached out to them. Um, Y'all have overlooked this. And I was so grateful that they sent us that email because we, we would not have known. I love when people in the church in a really respectful um, manner, solution-oriented manner, come to us and say, hey, here's an area. You may not, you may not realize this. I don't think this area is going well. Let me help you fix this area. This is what happened in the book of Acts. That's what happened this week. And we were able to connect and minister to a family that just because of the growing size of our church, we may have missed if somebody didn't care enough to say, hey, heads up, you you missed this. So we're grateful when people point out tension to us. And it's interesting, you know, the, the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, they didn't get together and say, you know what, maybe we should just go to a church that does this better. You know why? Because there were no other churches yet. That's the only reason. Like, I'm sure someone said, you know, you think we should leave the church? And someone said, well, it's only like Acts 6. I don't think there's another one yet. Like, we, you know, we, we could, but we're going to have to fix this one because there's, there's not another one. They kind of adopted the philosophy that this is our church. We're going to make it better. It's broken, but we'll help make it better. It's broken because God's bringing more people. So growth creates tension. But that tension led to, here's my favorite part of Acts chapter 6. 
That tension led to a major shift in how ministry would be done in the church. And this was brand new after thousands of years of history. In the Jewish faith, there was a major shift in how ministry would be done. Look at verses 2 through 6. It says, so the 12, those the original 11 apostles, Judas was gone, Matthias had been voted in, so Matthias plus the original 11, gathered all the disciples together and said it wouldn't be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. So they chose Stephen, man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now here's what you need to understand. This had never happened before. Before Acts chapter six, This conversation had never taken place. As a matter of fact, for 2,000 years, roughly 2,000 years, unless you were born a Levite, which was a specific family in Israel, unless you were born into the family tree of a Levite, you couldn't really minister before the Lord or on behalf of the Lord. Because God said in the book of Exodus, when all the people came out of slavery in Egypt, God said, here's what I would like. I would like for every one of your firstborn children to serve me full time. Take them to the temple, drop them off, um, and every one of your firstborn children, they're going to serve me for their entire lives. But that might be difficult to do. So here's what I'm going to do instead. We're going to anoint one family, Moses and Aaron's family. And instead of everyone giving their firstborn child to God, this Levite tribe on behalf of you, they're going to serve God for all their generations. They'll take care of all the ministry, but they're the only ones who are going to have the privilege of doing it. Nobody else is going to be allowed in the tabernacle. Nobody else is going to be allowed to offer sacrifices. Nobody else could be a high priest. These are the only people when God needs to minister to someone, he's going to use them. When you need someone to talk to God on your behalf, you're going to use them. So for 2,000 years, unless you were born, ministry was much more about your physical DNA than your spiritual DNA. Unless you were born into the Levitical tribe, that was your family tree, you would never think of stepping in to do ministry. But it was the message of Jesus that anybody could minister to anybody if their heart was right. And he really messed with people's mind when he taught them this in Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37. He told a parable called the parable of the Good Samaritan. You, you've heard this parable perhaps if you've been raised in church. Jesus said a priest, here he's now kind of, he, he's, he's turning the foundations on, so a priest was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he saw a Samaritan beaten on the side of the road. And the priest, the, the guy who was born to do ministry, the only person who was allowed to do ministry, the priest passed by and didn't do anything. And then later on that day, a Levite, Jesus said, a Levite, the only guy who was even allowed to do ministry, was going down the same road and he saw the guy beaten on the edge of the road and he didn't do anything. And then later on, a Samaritan. Jesus went, I mean, to the far stretches of who God would use to help anyone. A Samaritan was going down the same road. He saw the guy beaten. And he helped him. And that answer was in response to somebody saying, when Jesus said, love your neighbor, minister to people. And the guy said, who's my neighbor? 
Jesus said, here's how you figure out who your neighbor is. People with a heart to help people. They are who God is looking for in the kingdom of God. It's not about the priest anymore. It's not about the Levites. It's about what's on the inside of your heart, not what's in the genetic code of your DNA. So anybody can minister to anybody if their heart is right. I mean, that's a great message for people like me who wasn't born into the right family, wasn't born into ministry. I certainly didn't live a life that earned me a way into ministry. But when God touched my heart, it's like God gave me permission to do do ministry. He allowed me to help people like my heart was shaped. I mean, I got so many things wrong with me, but I'm allowed to do ministry if I want to help people. I was at the dentist this week, and those of you who have been here the last couple weeks, you know I don't like dentists and doctors. And I I had a procedure done that I won't go into detail on because a couple weeks ago I did, and someone passed out who was in the audience. I was talking about passing out, and it made them sick, and they passed out. So I I won't go into detail. I was having an uncomfortable experience at the dentist this week, having having some work done. And, uh, you know, I was sitting in the chair and they're doing some work and the, the little nurse lady, I know they don't call them a nurse at the dentist, was kind of helping me. And, you know, I was, I was real anxious. And, you know, everyone that came into the room, I was like, okay, I'm probably gonna pass out. I gave them the speech, you know, that, that I give everyone. And she was like, man, she's like, you know, we can, uh, you, you probably should take something um, before you come into the office to just take the edge off a little bit. And I said, I think I would have to go to the dentist in Colorado to get calm enough to, to be okay in the dentist chair. And I don't smoke pot, but I got jokes, you know. So, you know, it's kind of, I was just joking, you know. I was, just, I was just joking. And she laughed, you know, she got it and, you know, thought it was really funny. And then the doctor came in, the dentist, and he was doing his thing. He was like, man, you're so tense. And she repeated my joke. She, she said he'd have to go to the dentist in Colorado not to be tense. And they kind of laughed. And then she asked me, so what do you do for a living? And I thought, oh, shoot. (laughs) I said, uh, so, well, I'm a pastor. And she said, oh, really? And I could tell in her answer that she was judging me because I went to college in the South. And in the South, they judge you with those little comments. You can hear, like, oh, really? Like, she didn't say the rest of it, but she was like, oh, oh, really, pothead pastor. That's what she said to herself, <laughs> you know? I don't smoke pot, I just got jokes. So, you know, I, I was sitting there, and then came, the, you know, the next question. She said, well, where, where do you pastor at? And I thought, she's asking me this question so she makes sure and crosses my church off the list of any place she'll ever visit. So I said, Abundant Life Baptist Church. <laughs> <laughs> And then, no, 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 no. I, I pastor, I pastor at Journey. And I just thought as I'm laying there, trying not to pass out, trying to, you know, just trying anything to keep my mind occupied. I thought, how could God use me? Like if God could use me, God could use anybody, right? I mean, Jesus' message was God can use anybody to minister to anybody if their heart is right. And when they came to the disciples and they brought them this problem and said, you got to fix this, the disciples said, no, we don't have to fix this. You can fix this. You can help us. And the people in the church in Acts were thrilled that they could help the ministries of the church. No one had ever given them a chance to do this before. They'd always been on the outside looking in. But all of a sudden, we look in verse 3. 
They said, they came to the disciples and said, fix it. And the disciples said, no, you fix it. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We'll turn this responsibility over to them. We'll give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They were like, sweet, we can help. Sure, we'll help. No one's ever given us a chance to help before. We didn't know God could use us. But if God can use people who want to be used, we, we want to be used. And the major shift in ministry in the church was this. Anybody who saw a need and could help meet that need was welcome to join the ministry team. Jesus ushered in a new form of ministry that says, see a need, meet a need. You see some tension in the church? Help us fix it. Get engaged. Do something. Do something. The church you see all over the church today, do something. And when we look at number four, the major impact of this new way of ministry, we see why Jesus allowed people to get engaged and we see why people engaging is so healthy for Jesus' church. Acts 6, 7, what happened after the people said, we'll do something to help us as the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what happens when everybody embraces a Christianity where they're supposed to do something? What happens when people say, I'm not going to be content to just come sit in the seats, but I'll do something. Just give me something to do, and I'll do it. Three things. More people learn about who God was, and they learn about how to be connected to God. When the people in God's church say, just, I'll do something, just tell me what to do. More people learn about who God is and how to connect to him. B, the church starts growing rapidly which probably leads to more problems, especially in the kids' areas and in parking. I mean, it just, it just does. But when people start engaging, the church starts growing. But here's the coolest thing. Letter C, it says a bunch of priests became Christians. That's weird. A bunch of Old Testament Jewish priests became Christians when they saw people start serving. Why? Why do you think that happened? I asked myself that question this week as I, as I was studying the text. Why? Did people jumping in to start serving cause a bunch of priests to become Christians? You know why? Here's why I think it is. I think it's interesting how motivated you can get to serve Jesus when you don't feel like you're the only one doing it. And I think these priests for thousands of years had grown tired of everyone coming to them and asking them to do all the work. And I think there are volunteers in our church who are probably tired of every Sunday coming in and doing the same thing over and over and over again and no one else helping. And when there's this influx of people saying, hey, we'll help too, like your heart just gets encouraged and you, and you just remember why you're doing it. You're doing it because you wanna to connect to God. I think priests saw people plug into the ministry after everyone relying on them and only them forever and ever and ever. And they said, man, this is something we wanna be a part of, something where everyone works together to meet needs. That's something we want to do. And man, as we read through the New Testament, Christians serving people through Jesus' church, it becomes the dominant New Testament message. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul ties the theology of becoming a Christian with acting like a Christian and serving like a Christian. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, this is the most famous verse on how to become a Christian, but it also contains in it how to begin acting like a Christian. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, for it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this isn't from yourself, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So Paul said, here's how Christianity works. You get saved, and then you get to work. 
because God's got stuff for you to do. You get saved and then you get to work because God has stuff for you to do. If you're a Christian, you've been created to do something for Jesus. And it's time to take the next step in your spiritual development. Not that we right now have major needs in our ministry. I'm not standing before you as a pastor saying if, if, if you don't engage, our church is going to fall apart. We've got the best volunteers on planet earth and everything is going great. But I believe if you will do something, if you'll take your next step, I believe more people are going to hear about Jesus. I believe it opens up opportunity for more people to come and be a part of what we're doing. And I believe some volu current volunteers at our church will be encouraged by more people stepping in and... I believe you will grow and be better spiritually if you engage. We've been, we've been interviewing volunteers the last several weeks at our church to show you the experience that they have had serving and how it's impacted their life. And I want to introduce three of them to you today in a short little video. You're going to meet Brad and Reese and Tara. These are three people who started just doing something and their lives have been transformed by serving Jesus through God's church. My name is Brad and I serve with the worship team. If you're thinking about volunteering at JCI, I'd recommend you find an area that speaks to you and your personality and just give it a shot. I mean, initially you're not sure if it's worth your valuable time, but uh, chances are you're going to like it and you'll start to see it as a privilege instead of a duty. Hey everybody, this is Reese. Spiritually, I've grown tremendously from serving. It really is true that when you pour into other people's lives and invest in other people's lives spiritually, you'll grow spiritually as well. One of the greatest parts about serving is that you get to do life with other people who are trying to grow in Christ, and you can bring those things to the table each and every week. My name is Tara, and I serve in Journey Junior. Serving has radically changed my life. I'm an introvert, and most Sundays, I'm living outside of my comfort zone. It's given me a greater confidence as a Christian and as a leader. I'm pretty shy, and serving has changed a lot of that. So those are just three of the more than 300 volunteers who serve at our church. And here's the reality of Journey Church International. As long as God keeps sending people to JCI, we're going to grow, we're going to fail, we're going to learn to change, and we're going to grow some more if more people will keep stepping in to help where God created them to help. And here's the reality, nobody can do everything, but everyone can do something. Nobody can do everything, so every, but everyone can do something. So here's how we're going to end today's message in the next three weeks. I want you to read.